Hey, it's Casey. Before we start today, I just wanted to jump in and let anyone out there who thinks they would like to work with parents and facilitate positive discipline to know that I will be facilitating a Teaching Parenting the Positive Discipline Way workshop with my friend and business partner, Julietta Skoog, March 20th through the 24th from 9 a.m. to noon Pacific. This will certify you as a positive discipline parent educator and train you up in everything you need to start leading and supporting parents. It is super fun. And if you enroll before February 20th, you will get the $50 off the cost of the workshop. You'll get the early bird special. Go to besproudable.com slash parent dash educators for more information and to register. Again, that's besproudable.com slash parent dash educators. Let us know if you have any questions. Hey, welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place for inspiration and transformation as we try and keep it together while parenting our tweens and teens. This is real work, people. And when we can focus on our own growth and nurturing the connection with our kids, we can move through the turbulence in a way that allows for relationships to remain intact. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am your fearless host. I'm a positive discipline trainer, space holder, coach, and the adolescent lead at Sproutable. I am also the mama to a 20-year-old daughter and 17-year-old son walking right beside you on this path of raising our kids with positive discipline and conscious parenting. This show is meant to be a resource to you, and I work really hard to keep it real, transparent, and authentic so that you feel seen and supported. Today is an interview, and I have no doubt that what you hear will be useful to you. Please don't forget, sharing truly is caring. If you love today's show, please pass the link around. Snap a screenshot, post it on your socials, or text it to your friends. Together, we can make an even bigger impact on families all around the globe. I'm so glad that you're here. Enjoy the show. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. Welcome back to the pod. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today. Her name is Olivia Thompson. Olivia is the VP of Marketing at SESH, which is an easy-to-use mental health platform for online support groups led by licensed therapists. And considering all of the conversations that I've had with so many people, friends, family members, clients members of our community around how challenging it is to find support when we need it for mental health issues, I was excited to bring Olivia on to talk about this new way of coming together and feeling that support that we need. So we're going to talk about that. Hi, Olivia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Casey. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. I would love to have you share a little bit about your journey of doing what you do, because I know that there will be places and pieces that will be relatable to listeners. Sure. Well, starting from the beginning, I've always known that I wanted to end up in marketing somehow. I was always obsessed with like the Wheaties boxes and billboards. And I was like, you know, one day I'm going to design those. I got into like 
probably junior high or high school. And I realized I have zero artistic ability, much, (laughs) much to my dismay, because I grew up in a family that was very artistic. I mean, I grew up with a mom who like redid in this immaculate design of Van Gogh's um, Starry Night. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to be so good at this. And then I realized I, I wasn't. So I started exploring things that were in a similar career path to that, which was, I guess, kind of weird for someone that's like in junior high to know what they want to do so early on. But that was like, I just knew that I wanted to have an impact in that way. So went into college and started learning and realized that like, as much as I love marketing, like these classes are boring. And I was actually a college dropout. So I started working in marketing when I was at the ripe age of, uh, gosh, I want to say I was 17, but I, I might have just turned 18 because I, I was I spent about a year in college and then left. And I've been doing this ever since. I've really focused my career because of the opportunity that I have and that I've been able to, you know, create the companies I've been at with really focusing on companies that are really passionate about driving meaningful work in the space beyond just like saying like, oh, we're a messenger friend company. Like there's so much more beyond that. So I've always worked for companies that just bring the passion from internal to external and are really just looking at improving the greater good of the world that we live in. And I think that's something that's kept me sane through my career because I feel like marketing in general it has a lot of negative light, like marketing is here to convince people to buy things or to do things that they may or may not need or earn all of those things. And it's like, I don't want to be slimy. I want to be doing mm-hmm. something that drives impact and drives value and drives change for people that need it. So I've worked in education, transportation. I've worked in sustainable fashion. I've worked in the fitness space with like um, body positive um fitness instructor, instructors and things like that. Um, and now I'm at a mental health company. So I think I've been able to, I think I've done a pretty good job of, of living out my mission through the companies I've been with. Yeah, well, and I'm just listening to you talk about marketing. I mean, you know, I love what I get to do. I love having a mic to talk into, whether it's here on the pod or on a stage. I love one-on-one coaching with parents, facilitating classes. I do not love putting myself out in the world like, hey, you should do this with me. <laughs> you know, like, right. That is not my skill set. And it feels so awkward. And so I'm really resonating with what you're talking yeah. about. And I love that you had you knew so young that the mission driven space is where you wanted to be and have explored that. What drew you to Sesh? Or maybe just tell us a little bit about, like, first tell us about Sesh and then what was it about it that made you say yes when they offered you the job? My time at Sesh started after it really came from a, I was in a very rocky position and it was one that I was ready to leave because it didn't align with my values. Uh, Personally, just from what I saw internally, I was at a large retailer that I'll let people figure out later on. Um, (laughs) Leave some Easter eggs. (laughs) Yeah, I'll leave some Easter eggs for that. And I just knew that what I was doing there didn't, although when I stepped into my role there, it did align with my values, but as time went on, it didn't. So I left my position there and I was basically just 
not looking for anything, but at the same time, I'm like, I know the company that I'm meant to be at will click with me right away. I actually interviewed with Tori, our founder, I think the day after I had left my position and then I had an offer, like it was like a Tuesday and she called me back on like Friday or something Mm -hmm. like that. And that was just like, from the start, having a conversation with Tori, who has had a very personal relationship with an eating disorder and that's really driven her to start sesh. That's what really clicked for me beyond just like us being two women who have just gone through it both in life and career and like being able to connect with someone that's in the same space with you. It was something that was really important to me. I think another big thing that really drove me to pursue the opportunity at sesh was how it was very easy to like understand what they're doing. I mean, sesh at its core is therapist led but community-driven. So everything that we do on our platform is really focused on how are we connecting a community with valid support with a therapist who's well-qualified in doing that. And in my own mental health journey, I've tried every single platform out there, every single Talkspace, BetterHelp, all of those things. I've tried them. And it's like, I felt like it was like herding cattle. Like I was just another person in this. And one thing that Tori had me do during the interview process is actually experience sesh for myself. She was like, here's a promo code, go to a session, tell me what you think. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that experience felt so different for me as someone who's also dealt with my mental health and other concerns within that, I was like, oh, this is it. Like, even if I don't get this job here, I'm going to use this platform. And like, if I felt that on my first try, I was like, I want other people to feel that way too, because it's so hard. It's so hard to go to a therapist, whether you're limited by time, cost, whatever it might be. Like I had to purposely go to telehealth because even through my insurance, not only was the weight ridiculous, but I couldn't even go to like the closest center by me. I had to drive like 20, 30 minutes away. And I'm like, not everyone can do that. Right. I mean, I live outside of LA, so it's like, it really shouldn't be that hard in a metro city, but it is. It really doesn't matter where you are at this point. And the combination of all of those things is really what brought me to SESH and wanting to create the same experience that I had for someone else is is always top priority for me. Yeah. And it's not, you know, when I think about some of the other online spaces for mental health, it's in the model at least as far as I know, I haven't explored too much, but it's the model of the one-on-one, but SESH is not. So talk about like that model that you guys are, you know, creating out in the world. Yeah. I mean, our model is really focused on connecting individuals in a support group setting because of the setting that we've created. You and I can be in a session together and our therapists could be in Michigan Mm -hmm. or something like that. And it's really focused on connecting people with a community around what they need support with, Mm -hmm. whether that be dealing with anxiety and depression. We even have a super successful group around like money management and things like that, where it's like driving down to the root of like, why is money management so hard (laughs) for me from like a, a, a psychological perspective? Side note, by the way, your money problems are a psychological issue, everyone. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, being able to connect people in a setting like that is what our model is based on because we never want people to feel isolated. Mm -hmm. And it's not to be a replacement for that one-on-one traditional therapy setting. It's just a different approach to be like, 
yes, you can do this while you're going to therapy. And yes, you can be in therapy while going through this, but there's a really strong connection between being in a room with other people that are going through the same thing to make it feel like you're not going through this alone because no one's going through this alone. Like if I look at any of the sessions that we offer right now, I'm like, yep, I deal with that. And all of my friends do too. And it's like, if we talk about this, like in a group chat, or we talk about this over coffee together, Mm -hmm. why not have someone who is, you know, a qualified therapist to help actually guide us in the direction of, of healing or overcoming whatever this is, is as well. So that's really what our model is. We've seen people in sessions join from both coasts. We've had, we, our platform is international as well. So we've had people from, you know, Mexico, Canada, Europe join. And it's just, we see this almost like instant joy if people are like, oh my God, someone in a completely different life state, all of these things is facing exactly what I'm going through. And we've seen incredible results when we connect people together. Mm-hmm. People kind of build like, you know, an on-screen friendship with people because they go to the same groups every week and they're like, hey, Joe, I saw you last week. You know, how are things going? Like there's so much healing within that. So many positive outcomes with that. Yeah, I run a membership program for moms of teenagers and it's that same experience of, oh, I'm not living in my own private freak show. Like this is, you know, sometimes the flavors are slightly different, but we're on this collective human experience. And I mean, and it's reminding me kind of of like AA, like 12 step programs where there's meetings happening all the time and you find your meeting and you find your kind of group and you show up and build those relationships. And it is, it's so, you know, we're wired to belong and be in community with each other. And so what a lovely offer for people especially, and I love, I mean, just the fact you're in LA and I'm in Bellingham and we're having this conversation on Zoom. I love technology for that reason. You know, like we can come together and be together and share real conversations, right? We are in a room together. It's a Zoom room. It's a room. It counts. It's a room. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Factor. Are you old enough to remember TV dinners? They came in those tin trays and each part of the meal had its own little compartment. I remember eating those and watching Happy Days, followed by Three's Company, maybe a little Laverne and Shirley. I am that old. (laughs) Well, the situation has been totally upgraded by Factor. Factor makes delicious, ready-to-eat meals. And unlike those quick meals of the past, every Meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including meals that are calorie smart, protein plus, and keto if that's your thing. Also, there's more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. In my last order, we got red chicken chili, tamale bowls, and Italian sausage pizza casserole, as well as other delicious meals that my family loved. Plus there's breakfast and smoothies and all sorts of other add-ons to make life simpler while also keeping it healthy. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. 
Right now, head to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use code joyful50 to get 50% off. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50 to get 50% off. So I've been getting groceries from Hungry Root for the last few months and I am loving it. I use it to keep healthy snacks in the house, and I also order a few meal kits that are easy go-tos during the week. What I love is the variety that shows up in the box. Crunchy snacks, sweets, breakfast smoothies, whatever I've clicked as wanting comes to my door. My dietary wishes are different than my family's. The boys, Ben and Ian, they're always trying to build muscle and gain weight, I am not. Hungry Root gives so many options, it meets all of our needs. In our last box, we got cilantro lime chicken with jasmine rice, and it literally took me seven minutes to put together. Listen, after working all day and doing all the things for the fam, seven minutes to throw together dinner works for me. And the ingredients are good, like high quality good. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's gotta taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. Save hours of planning, shopping, and cooking. Let Hungry Root deliver the food you love. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Joyful Courage podcast listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to hungryroot.com slash joy and get 40% off your first delivery and those free veggies. That's hungryroot.com slash joy. Don't forget to use our link so that they know we sent you. We've seen so many positive things come out of this setting. I mean, we run all of our groups in in series, but they're completely like drop in, drop out. You're not required to go to the same one every single mm-hmm. week. You can go to one about, you know, children of divorce and then go to one about dealing with a narcissist. And you can just kind of free pick from there. But we just recently had a living with a narcissist group that ran and all of our groups are capped at 10 people. So if we ha- you have that like genuine interaction. I think that group was 70% full and it was all men. And it really made us think like internally of like, this is changing the face of men's mental health as well. It's not just what we normally think of as mental health. And it's like, we had, you know, seven men in this group. We're all able to speak with each other about what they are dealing with in a setting that normally probably wouldn't happen, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's, it's incredible to see things like that. And I think that's at the end of the day, that is what we're, we're here to do. Yeah. It's so interesting what creates safety for people, right? Whether it's like a gender conversation or an age conversation, you know, my daughter who gives me permission to share, you know, when she really had to deep dive into her mental health journey, it started before COVID, but then when she really committed to being a part of her own healing COVID happened and everything went online. And it was such a relief to her to take away the anticipation of the drive, the anticipation of the walk, the knock on the door, the sitting down in the same room, you know, take that away. And she was really able to feel so much more comfortable. And, you know, and in that comfort space, that's where we can heal when we're not all, especially for people with anxiety, which is her biggest challenge or had been her biggest challenge, you know, that created like this barrier for her to even be able to settle in. And I think telehealth was such a gift for her to 
get rid of that, drop in, be in relationship without all of that, you know, noise, I think for her. That's awesome. There's so many things through that journey too, that can be honestly, like in how I feel, and this is not anything bad on like on traditional one-on-one therapy or therapist. I think it's the environment in which it's hosted. It could be so demoralizing in so many different ways. Like I have to get up, I have to do the drive. I have to go in this waiting room of like, there's all these other people and like all these things. And I think it's just the way, you know, the approaches is, is set up right now, but it doesn't work for everyone. And even if you're going to one-on-one, like you just mentioned, like doing that one-on-one practice on a camera is so much more comfortable mm-hmm. to people. I love the drive. I'm thinking all about everything I'm going to tell my guy. I love it. I can go get a coffee afterwards. Totally. Totally. My therapist (laughs) is like the top, like the attic of this old house in town. I mean, and that's me, right? And that's not everyone. And so that's what I'm really loving, you know, more and more is just like, okay, how can we meet people where they're at versus forcing them into a model that you know, is actually keeping them from stepping into their health and well-being. So I really appreciate that. Will you tell us a little bit more? I know that you have shared that you were diagnosed with ADHD as an adult and, you know, had your own mental health journey. Will you talk a little bit about that and how it's come to play into, you know, who you are and what you do in the world? Yeah, my journey with ADHD has been really interesting. It actually kicked off when this is pre-COVID, but I started working from home just because of, again, it was another environment thing that I was dealing with. And then I ended up getting a remote role. So I started working completely from home. And I was actually sharing this with a therapist that I'm connected with on LinkedIn. Her name is Megan Cornish, who is actually talking about like ADHD as an adult. There's just like this outpouring of like people who are around the same age as I was like dealing with this and stuff like that. But I realized that when I'm at home, it was really easy for me. I'm normally a person who's like, I have the checklist, I'm tracking everything and like a project management software, like I'm usually so good with it. And as soon as I started working from home, although I had created like what I thought was an ideal environment for me, it wasn't like I got easily distracted. I was forgetting, you know, deadlines, all of these things that like normally I didn't do in like an in-office setting. And then I started talking to my therapist about it. And she said, you know, have you ever been monitored or tested for ADHD? And I was like, no, but I also grew up, my younger sister is special needs and she's autistic along with some other things. So I thought about it and I thought about like all the testing that she had gone through and all those things. And even just talking to my mom about it. And I was like, you know what? this makes a lot of sense now. So I ended up going through this process of being tested and everything. And she was like, yes, you score really high on ADHD, but you score really low for anxiety, which like in a perfect world is good. Like the combination of the two, I have friends that have a combination of like, are you okay? Because I'm really concerned. (laughs) Yeah, I have a lot of clients whose kids present with both. So yeah, it's tough. Oh my gosh, I could not. That would be so hard because it would be like, you know, what ADHD brings like a certain level, like procrastination, but like having that mixed with anxiety, I think, I don't know how I would function at the end of the day. So I started that time with that therapist and like seeking treatment and getting treated and all those type of things. And unfortunately, the therapist I was working with, I lost access to 
through my insurance. And it was just a cost that I couldn't cover on my own at the time. And so I started seeking out other telehealth platforms that specialize in, in ADHD treatment. And during that process, I was switched medication. I was functioning really well in the medication I was on, but the company I started working with put me on Adderall. And it was, I had an experience of where I was like on top of the world and I felt great. Like I was able to like build out my ideal working environment. I was on Adderall, like I was getting so much done. But what was happening is that I wasn't sleeping at night and I wasn't eating. And I realized that that was a side effect of the medication. And this company has recently come under fire for over prescribing Adderall. And wait, it was the company you were working for? No, this was a company that I just sought out okay. another telehealth. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, this was a different company. I was like, and wow, so, way to energize the workforce, y'all. Like, right. Adderall for you everyone. Know, I, I, <laughs> it, exactly, exactly. So I, it would have been, oh my gosh, I don't even think people, when I was working where I was working, I don't think people knew that this was all going yeah. on. I don't think I was to anyone that I was on any type of medication or had ADHD or anything because I still had that like stigma yeah. of like, oh, there's something you don't tell people. But I started on Adderall and I was, all these things started to happen. I was like, you know what? I haven't eaten in like two days. I haven't slept in like another two days and stuff like that. And when this company came under fire, I was like, yeah, I was in a space where I probably didn't need that level of that strong of a drug. And it was very eye-opening. What was your process coming off of it? I went completely cold turkey. I probably should not have done that. Because the company that I worked with was just, I'll, it's another Easter egg that I'll leave. Like if people look up Adderall, ADHD, uh, overprescribing, the company is very easy to find. I was not under a care of a therapist. It was very much a like, wow. oh, you have this problem. Here's the drug. See yeah. you later. So they just kept sending it to me in the mail. Sending it to me. So I was just like, hey, I think I'm supposed to be taking this much. You know, I have no idea. Yeah. Wow. And it was... Once I had like that awakening moment of like, oh my God, I haven't slept in two days and I haven't eaten in two days either. In my house, I didn't do the thing of like flushing them down the toilet or anything. So I know you're not supposed to do that, but it's somewhere in my house because I have ADHD. I do not remember where I put it. So it's somewhere <laughs> hiding in my house. And I went completely cold turkey. And I think that was the first time that I had slept that well in months since being off it. Wow. Yeah. So I ended up doing that. And then I did have like moments of clarity where I was like, it worked really well for me in this way, but it didn't work really well for me in others, Mm -hmm. which were like basic things of like eating and sleeping. Yeah. Big things. I was very well hydrated, which was great because it makes you drink water. That was a good thing. But I started figuring out ways as I was coming off of it, like how can I create the same experience that I was having Mm -hmm. on it? versus it. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time with like, since I was working from home, like how do I create my ideal workspace? I have like a she shed in my yard right now, I guess is the best way to describe it. That's what my office is. Awesome. Like I work from there. I'm not in there right now, but I work from there normally. And it's like at the end of my day, everything stays in there and I separate mm-hmm. work from home. And that works really well for me. I got better with like note taking and project management. Like I figured out like, what was I able to do when my, essentially my mind was like focused? I don't want to say calm, but my mind was truly like focused on things. Mm-hmm. And I tried to create that in the same way. So like, as I was coming off of it, it wasn't just like a, 
you're running wild because you don't have this in your system anymore. It was a really smooth transition. It's unfortunate to me that I had to do that all without a guidance of a therapist, just because how my health insurance and all of those things were set up. Yeah. But I felt confident in figuring that out. Yeah. I'm thinking about your story. I'm thinking about a couple of things. One is growing up with a younger sibling who, you know, has extra needs, special needs, and how easy it is to miss as a parent having two kids, one needing a lot. It's so easy to not recognize things that might be going on for the other, especially if they're pretty easygoing, right? Yeah, that was something that my mom said too. I asked her, I was like, you know, in a non-accusatory manner, I was like, did you ever think about this with me? And she was like, honestly, no. I was homeschooled because my family moved around a lot when I was growing up. I thrived under like an independent learning. Like we followed like a very strict structure because of the states that we lived in with Mm -hmm. being homeschooled where we had to do that. But I thrived better under my mom giving me like the curriculum and administering the tests and just being very independent versus like a one-on-one learning, which is obviously where my sister would have benefited a lot more from. Like if she gave me a science textbook, I remember clearly, it was probably like late elementary, early middle school. I remember I'm supposed to utilize the science textbook like all year and I finished it in like three months Mm -hmm. because it was just thing to me. She was like, when I saw things like that, I'm like, oh, she's fine. She's just really excited about science or something like that. Yeah, like just checking the box. Oh, good. Look at my easy kid for sure. Yeah. Looking back, she's like, that was your ADHD focus of the year. Like that's what you dedicated all your time to. And she's like, it makes sense now that you're older, but in comparison, when I had another child that was so high touch, yeah, you don't think twice about it. And it makes complete sense because I probably wouldn't have thought twice about it if I was in the same working environment that I was in, you know, and it made it be in my mid twenties to be diagnosed. So, you know, it makes sense. Well, and that's, what's so interesting to me, like putting it in the context of my listeners who have many of them. Yeah. Most of them have kids at home. Right. And, you know, we talk a lot about teens and teen brain development and all the things that can start happening under the surface that present just as I like to call it mischief, misbehavior, risky behavior, defiance, you know, fill in the blank, all the things at the tip of the iceberg versus looking at what's going on underneath. And this conversation with you about your experience, you know, there is that, like you said, like there's no parent blaming here. I lived through this with my own two kids. And I remember being you know, really conscious of turning towards my youngest and saying like, hey, there's a lot going on with your sister. I just want you to know that I'm here for you, whatever you need to talk about. And I remember one time he was like, mom, I'm just going to have a really normal life. I'm going to go to high school. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a job. It's just going to be regular. And I said, okay, great. And you can fall apart. It's okay. Like I have space for that, right? So just trying to even as I knew I was missing things, right? And what I love about your story, Olivia, is even if it was your mid-20s, which makes perfect sense because your brain was finally fully developed. right? And what I try to tell parents too and give them faith around and trust is even when our teens are struggling, whether or not we know it, you can build the scaffolding for your teenagers as far as like support, all the support right? Academic support, mental health support, all the things. But until they're willing to show up and say, okay, I'm going to use this for me. I'm going to be an active participant in making my life better. 
that's their job. That's what they get to decide on their timeline. And sometimes the timeline looks like mid-20s and life is chaotic enough to finally they say, okay, I got to get my shit together. This doesn't feel good. This isn't what I want. And as a parent of a 16 and 19-year-old, it's a tough ask to say like, hey, they're going to figure it out. It might not be before they leave your house. And your story is an example of that, of having the wherewithal to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm curious about this. And even as things got rocky with the Adderall, it's so great to hear a young person, well, younger than me, everybody's a young person to me because I'm 49. It's so great to hear somebody say, like, I was aware enough to recognize, shit, I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. This is not okay. I'm going to do something about it. So I'm just celebrating your self-awareness for you, but also for all of us as an example, like, hey, they're going to get to that place, you know, and self-awareness is like, maybe they'll get to that place and it's going to take a little longer. You know, it might not be cold turkey might not be as easy for some people as it is for others. And of course, like I just watched Dope Sick, which I realize oxycodone is not the same as Adderall, but, you know, so I have this kind of intense like, oh, my God. It is so similar, though. It is so similar. The overprescription of it. Yes. Yeah. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. From my experience with Adderall, I recently had shoulder surgery on my right side. And then two years ago, I had it on my left side. And I was honestly scared, Casey, because they prescribed me Vicodin both times. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I saw how I was on Adderall. Yeah. I don't 
saying that I was addicted to Adderall, but I was. Yeah. I felt so good on it that I was like dedicated to taking it every single day. Heck yeah. Why wouldn't you be? Exactly. And I like when I got those pain meds, I was like, what if I get addicted to this? What if it's as easy for me to get addicted to this as it was for me to feel so great on Adderall? So after both surgeries, I took absolutely no painkillers because I didn't want to do that. But like, it easily can create that yeah. like a narcotic and it's so slippery. I think one thing I'm grateful for is like when I did come to this realization and I think, you know, a lot of listeners that deal with this with having two kids might hopefully find some comfort in this is like when I went to my mom and I started talking with her because she had the experience of dealing with my sister who is special needs. When I basically came to her and said, mom has special needs too. Like she was very well equipped to like kind of guide me through that experience because Mm -hmm. she had already done it. My sister's 23 now, but she had done that for 23 years. Like she knew how to support a child with these concerns and she helped me a ton. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that like, if this is happening to other parents, like it's easy to feel guilty and I will totally understand how feeling guilty. But when you are equipped, if you've already gone through this before, or you're going through it right now and you're worried about your kid coming to you with these same concerns one day, you have so much knowledge that like Google cannot inform me of. Yeah. You know, I can look days on ends and have so many articles around like, this is how you build the right, you know, working environment at home. And I'm like, it changes every day, but nothing ever fit me. But like my mom knew me. She mm-hmm. knew about ADHD. She knew about autism, like all these other things that like, she helped me a ton and still helps me a ton. I love that. And even my mom was recently diagnosed with ADHD and she's almost 60. And I was just like, you know, she's going to hate me this because I said that, but it's okay. But it's like, she feels okay with it yeah. because she's like, I have all the resources that I need. I've gone through this. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering if I'm ADHD, just having this conversation with you, Olivia. <laughs> we probably all Is there an online test I can take? I think I need to take it. There is. There is. There's a lot of resources out there. <laughs> I'm going to check it out. Well, and again, what you're bringing up too from the parent perspective is the ability to, and what it sounds like your mom was able to do was to drop into some humility. Because I think, you know, as my kids have gotten older and I'm expecting as the years come to hear more from them around where I missed the mark, where I got it wrong, and to be able to receive that without slipping into like a shame spiral or a guilt spiral, like we're all doing, and this is for the listeners, we're all doing the best we can with the tools that we have in the moment all the time, right? And sometimes the best that we can do from the outside looking in might be a little shaky, but you know what? Every moment is a new moment. Every day is a new day. And I hope that by listening to this conversation, like I didn't realize where we were gonna go. And it's so useful, right, to highlight God, it's just freaking hard. It's hard to have the kind of attention and wherewithal to really see in every moment what our kids need. And it's impossible, actually. It's not just hard, it's impossible. So when they do come to us and say, hey, I'm struggling and I've been struggling and you missed it, but I need you to know and I need your help, like hear the I need your help part louder than you may have missed it, right? Because That's the place to be with our growing kids, our young adult kids. I love that. So I have a question. Are there sessions around groups first in sesh around recovery and people that are working through their addiction, addictive behavior, whatever that means for people? Yeah, we do. We have a lot of sessions that focus on 
breaking bad habits and that can specifically pertain to dealing with different types of addictions. We're actually in the process right now of exploring how we support people with ADHD too, because the need is so wide, you know, Mm -hmm. we want to be obviously very science-backed in all the sessions that we're hosting. So it takes a little bit of time to develop those things. But with addiction specifically, we really focus on like helping our members figure out kind of the root of the issue and Mm -hmm. working through that in a Mm -hmm. group setting. And that's actually one of our most popular sessions. And we see anywhere from people having bad habits around like shopping to drugs and a whole different other things. What about like afternoon grazing of all the salty, crunchy things? Is that exactly <laughs> yes. session? Yes. <laughs> I hate that session. We talk a lot about triggers, like yeah. what is triggering this for you? Because at the end of the day, all of those behaviors are really closely tied. And if we can help individuals figure out what's triggering that behavior and work backwards from there. Yeah. We've seen a lot of impact with that. But yeah, we have sessions that focus on that. And I would say that's in our top five of successful sessions on the platform. I'm imagining there must be like some content slash lesson slash facilitation and then kind of more of an open forum. Is that what the sessions look like? Yeah, it it varies on session to session on topic to topic, but it's really about providing the space. And then the facilitator really takes the stage and like truly facilitating like Mm -hmm. not only the discussion, but also the processing from that as well. So some of them start off with like a, I don't want to say like a lesson guide. Yeah, an activity or some experiential yeah, thing. Yeah, an activity, something like that. And then they all like come together and they talk about it in that live session. Love it. Again, with every topic, the approach can be a little bit different, but we've seen a lot of strong feedback around that approach of like, I love that I have this space to talk, but I'm actually leaving with something mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Olivia, I could talk to you for another hour. This is All the things. So interesting. But before we wrap up, I want to make sure, you know, you're here to share. And I know there's so much more about your story and just who you are in the world. But I wanted to make sure, is there anything else that you wanted to leave listeners with today before we close? Oh, that is such a good question. I mean, I, without toting my own company, I think there's such a strong power in finding support. A lot of the work that I do right now both within session externally is really helping shape the stigmas around mental health, not just within the Black community that I'm a part of, but also just in communities as a whole. Us as a platform, 20% of our sessions all focus on like cultural impact Mm -hmm. and things like that, which is very strong and something that other platforms don't have. But a lot of things that I'm doing right now is focusing on how do we provide support to the community. So I am really happy to be partnered with the Loveland Foundation, which provides almost immediate support to Black women and other people of color. So we're providing sessions or memberships to them uh, completely free so they can participate in sessions. But that's really what my focus is in the next couple of months is like, how do we break down some of the barriers and stigmas around mental health that communities have? I think one that's come up a lot for me is parents, because I think as I'm not a parent myself, but I know a lot of my friends are parents. And I mean, obviously I have parents as well. They've always talked about how putting themselves second happens so much. So we're actually going to be working on a lot of new campaigns to help connect parents with support because they're a marginalized community as well, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm really, really looking forward to connecting with individuals who want support, but have something in the way of getting it, whether it be their schedule, you know, 
juggling the kids, juggling life, whatever it might be. So that's the big thing that we're going to be focusing on in the next couple of months is driving the access. And that's something I'm really passionate about. Oh, so great. Yay. Well, I ask all my guests one last question. And so I'm going to ask you, what does joyful courage mean to you? That's the name of my podcast, in case you didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is such a good question, because everything we've talked about, I feel like that's exactly what comes to mind. Joyful courage to me means that it might be scary to take that first step into whatever you're doing. And for me, that was getting off of Adderall. I could be leaving any of the jobs, whatever it's been in my life. But knowing that you're going to be happy Mm. after. Like it might be hard, but you're going to be so much better after. And I think that's something that I've, not only just through our conversation, but overall I've reflected on. It's like getting off of Adderall is not easy. Leaving toxic jobs, none of it was easy but I had the courage and I was so happy after I did it. That's something that I want everyone to feel, Mm. whether it be people like as a people leader, it might be people that work for me. That might be people that I interact with, with our product. That might just be people I, you know, come across in my apartment complex, you know, whatever it might be. I want people to know that it's going to be better. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Where can people find out more about you and Sesh? We are on all major social platforms at Sesh Groups. So you can find us by typing in that anywhere. Sesh Groups, like S-E-S-H Groups. Yes. Got it. Okay. And you can find us anywhere there. I wish I was more active on like Twitter, but you can easily find me on Twitter by just looking for Olivia Thompson. That's my handle. I connect with everyone on LinkedIn and I lead a lot of thoughtful discussion there. So you can also find me on LinkedIn, Olivia Thompson. I answer every message that I get, even though I get quite a few. We like to host like really thoughtful discussions around mental health and mental health stigmas there as well. So for people who are looking for that, that's where they can find a lot of that from me. Awesome. And then Sesh is, is it seshgroups.com? Yes, seshgroups.com. You can find us there. And um, yeah, wherever you consume social media, that's how you find us there too. Yay. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I know you're a busy executive. So I appreciate you (laughs) hanging out with me. (laughs) Oh, it was so much fun. I really appreciate you having me on. And yeah, it was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for listening in today. Thank you to my Sproutable partners, as well as Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for all the support with getting this show out there and making it sound good. Check out our offers for parents with kids of all ages and sign up for our newsletter to stay connected at besproutable.com. Tune back in later this week for our Thursday show, and I'll be back with another interview next Monday. Peace. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.